Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. Okay, so um, when you guys were growing up and you asked your parents if you could do something and they didn't want you to do it, like if you're like, hey, can I go over to my friend's house or can I ever go over, you know, go to the store or whatever, and they didn't want you to do it, and you ask why, what was your least favorite response that you got from them? Because I said so. So you had similar parents to mine, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because I said so, yeah. Anytime I would ask my dad, it seemed like, uh, if I could do something fun, he said no, and then I said why, and he said because I said so. And I was a super rebellious uh, kid, and so that just meant that I would get set off, and I would just go do the exact opposite of what he said (laughs) most of the time. And um, I just had this feeling of like, you don't want me to have fun, you don't know what's best for me, you're old and boring and lame, and so you don't want me to have fun, but you don't want to be able to tell me that, right? So you just say, because I said so. Now, I have three kids, and uh, I told myself that whenever I had kids, I would not say those words. I would not say because I said so. I was like, I'm going to explain to my kids why they can't do something if I say no. I'm not going to be like that. I have three. Guess what I say all the time? Because I said so. Yep. Um, and really, why is because sometimes explaining is kind of beyond their comprehension. Like, like no, you can't eat a whole bag of gummy bears. Like, it will hurt your stomach. But they don't understand. You're right. So, um, and sometimes I'm just over it, if we're being honest. I'm not all that patient. But what I want for them more than anything is for them to trust me. I really want them to trust me and know that, like, what... I want is what's best for them most of the time, especially at like six, four, and two. (laughs) I do really know what's best for them. Jumping off of that thing, probably not a good idea, right? So one of the best examples of this, of kind of discovering the because I said so thing to be good and like that dad being trustworthy is uh, something that happened recently while we were on vacation. Um, We were on vacation, we went to Walmart and uh, we came across one of these wonderful things, torture devices for parents. Um, the claw machine. Anybody ever spent some money in a claw machine? Yeah. So every time we go through Walmart or any store, the kids are like, yeah, can I do that? And we're like, no. And they're like, why? Because I said so, right? And, but we're on vacation. They're like, can I do it? And I'm like, let's go. Life lesson, it's time, okay? So I have some money, we go over to the claw machine, I give Asher a dollar, I give Lily a dollar. Before I gave them the money though, I said, how long does it take you to earn a dollar? Like when you're doing chores around the house, how long does it take you to to earn one? And what do we do with that? Like we buy presents for each other, buy presents for family. Like I'm trying to like remind them the value of a dollar, right? It is my dollar that I'm giving to them to do this, but I want them to like get a picture of this, right? So Lily does it, the claw goes down, it doesn't get anything, no big deal. Like, she's sad, no big deal. Asher, it's his turn, he's my six-year-old. It goes down, it grabs something, and it starts to pull it up, and he's like, yeah! And I'm like, yeah! Because the first thing it does, as soon as it hits the top, right, drops the thing, and then it goes over and opens up, and he is losing it. He's like, but it was holding it! I was like, I've been telling you for years now, that these things are not okay to play. Like we could just walk right in there and use money to buy that very thing for like $1 more. But you were paying for the chance to win this thing. He's like, I don't understand. And my son, he has like this really um, 
deep sense of like fairness and justice, uh, especially when it comes to him. And so, um, and so he was walking through Walmart like, I just can't believe this. Like they're stealing money from people and it's just not right. And we need to tell somebody here that when you put a dollar in it and, you, and it grabs it, like it doesn't drop. And he's just so like, somebody has to know this is the worst. Like this is stealing money, right? And I just, <laughs> even at his young little age, it broke his little heart. And uh, I knew it would. I was so excited. And, and even... Even at his little age, like, he knew something was wrong with that, right? Like, and maybe, just maybe, hopefully, he'll trust me a little more the next time I say because I said so, right? You guys are in a stage of life where you got a lot more freedom. I know some of your parents are still trying, you know, saying, kind of, you know, telling you what to do and that kind of thing. But you're away from home, so you can kind of get away with things, right? Um, you're in a season where you have more freedom, that kind of stuff. And that's really, really cool. And as I was thinking about the whole, because I said so thing, it kind of made me think of this passage of scripture that I want to share with us today. Um, I'm going to stitch together a few passages from Genesis. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, everybody said, thank you, Jesus, for that. Because um, it's like three pas- uh, chapters in Genesis. But we'll start in Genesis 1.1. This first verse in the whole Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So pause here. God created everything. This means he's the boss. He gets to decide how it works. Like, he makes the rules, right? He's the one that created it all. If you believe that, like, and as Christians, uh, we do. So then uh, verse 15 of chapter 2 The Lord God placed a man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God gives man and woman this authority over the world, over his creation. Hey, this is is mine. I created it. I'm giving it to you to steward. Have fun. I have one rule, though. Don't eat of that tree. If you do, it will die. So he actually, when they, you know, if they were to ask why, he actually doesn't say, because I said so. He says, you will die. <laughs> I don't want you to eat that or you will die. Now, back up just a second. Love requires choice. Love requires the ability to, to choose, right? So God could make robots that he may do what he wants without, um, without you know, disobeying, but that wouldn't be love, right? If I force my kids day after day, you know, to do everything that I say and I, you know, beat them over the head or something or, you know, make them do it, right? Like, that's not love. They, they don't have a choice to obey out of love or to and be in relationship with me with love. So that, that free choice is, is really important for love. Chapter three, it's about to get spicy. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. So he's already kind of twisting a little bit here. Verse two, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Pause. He's saying God's trying to keep something from you. He's trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from being like him. He's withholding something 
from you. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. I've always found that fascinating that Adam's right there next to her, right? Watching this all go down. And he ate it too. At the moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Something I find fascinating about this is like, I don't know how often Adam and Eve walked in the presence of God in the garden, but they knew what his footsteps sounded like. They knew what the breeze sounded like when he went into the garden. He comes in, they hear him, they hide. So verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was this woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. So blame shifting right away, right? He's blaming God and the woman, right? You gave me this woman and she made me do this. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she blame shifts. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Very first, it, sometimes when I read it, I think of the very first kind of because I said so thing. They didn't die right away, but they did ultimately die like God had promised. That's not what he wanted for them. But here's, here's, the, here's how this works. If he made everything, if God created everything, if you created us, then this, this quote I love from Winky Pratney. Number one, God's laws are descriptions of reality. If he made it, then his laws are descriptions of reality. And I'm not talking about the law like just the Ten Commandments or the Levitical law or even the greatest commandment of Jesus or... All of those are part of it. I'm just talking about the way that God defines reality through all of his word and the ways that he reveals who he is. So the way that he lays out the reality of how the world he made works, um, what, when he says something is good, it's good. When he says something's not good, it's not good. He made the world. He made us in his image. And he knows the kind of world that people that he made in his image will thrive in, be happy in, have joy in. And what I love about this is that it, it would be really easy to be like, look at some of his rules and some of his laws and be like, man, these suck. <laughs> like, these are hard to keep or these are, these are difficult. Um, I don't like this. But the reality is, is like he gave them to us. It's very, very kind of a God who created the world and created the rules to actually share the rules with us so that we don't live outside of reality or live in such a way that we could hurt ourselves. It's very kind of him to give that to us. He gives us his word. He actually tells us what he wants from us and what he has for us. Now, I want you guys to imagine that I have an egg. And it's not a hard-boiled egg. It's just a regular egg, right? And if I have this egg and his name was, I don't know, Greg. Like, let's say his name is Greg the Egg, right? And one day Greg decides he's going to break the law of gravity. Like Sir Isaac Newton, he discovered that way long time ago. It's in the past right? The 1600s, like that's old, it's antiquated. Nobody thinks that way anymore, right? Like I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to break the law of gravity, right? And so we don't need to live by those rules. And if I took Greg the egg and I dropped him right here, what's going to happen if I drop him on the ground? It's going to break because it's so quiet. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't a rhetorical question or maybe it was, I don't know. It's going to break. Greg the egg is going to break, right? And 
Now here's a question. If Greg the egg is dropped, he decides he's going to break the law of gravity, but then he falls and breaks. Did Greg break the law of gravity? Or did the law of gravity actually work exactly as it was intended to work? He didn't break it. Gravity worked like it was designed to. Does that make God's laws bad that, or the law of gravity bad? No, it doesn't. Actually, gravity's really important for us on Earth. It's actually keeping us all alive right now. I dug into the whole idea of gravity and what it does and what happens if we don't have it, and we all die in about five seconds. I won't share all of the grim details with you, but it's scary. And so when I was digging into this gravity thing, it's like uh, howstuffworks.com said, gravity is one of the things that we take completely for granted, and there are two things about it that we take for granted. One, the fact that it's always there, and two, the fact that it never changes. God's law, they're descriptions of reality. They're always there, and they're never changing. I love what E. Stanley Jones says, we do not break the laws of God, we break ourselves upon them. I love what Dallas Willard says too, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. Anybody run into some reality in their lives, right? Here's the thing, is whenever we break the laws of God, um, that's sin, right? That's, um, and, and the thing is, is that it's not God saying like, I'm going to punish you as much as it is, is I wired the world this way and if you're going to choose to break it, you're going to get broken. And he didn't ever intend that for us. But when we sin, when we enter into that, man, it, it sows those things, sows brokenness into the world. Now, when we think about maybe like the little lie here or there, the little, you know, just the little small things, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe we don't feel so broken. But when we look in the world, I think we could all agree that like the Me Too movement, right? Women being treated as objects, being, you know, power being used to objectify and assault women. Like, that's bad. Anybody disagree with that? Okay, thank you. Um, no, it's, it's, it's awful, right? It's terrible. It shouldn't be the case. When I think about that, I think about my son Asher walking through Walmart going, it's not, this is not right. It's not supposed to be this way. Somebody has to tell someone about this. Like, that's how we feel when we see things like that. The problem is, is that there are tons of people that are objectifying men and women through pornography, right? We're sowing brokenness into the world, telling the story about men and women being objects. It's linked to that. We talk about greedy CEOs that are stealing from their employees, you know, right, or, or whatever, like people that lie and cheat just to make it to the top. Like, somebody needs to do something about this. What about if we get the answers for a test at a time, right? We're sowing brokenness, sowing that brokenness into the world. Sin is not normal for our world. God never wanted that for us. Sin is not normal. It's just normalized in our society. The problem is, is that it's always, always, when we go against the laws of God, it's, it causes brokenness. This is what H.H. Farmer says. When you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Now, I mentioned some sin things. Those are like you know, bad things, but God says some really cool things about rest. He says some really cool things about blessing. He says some really cool things about being in relationship with you and wanting to walk with you through life, to fill you with his spirit. Those are, those are also laws of God, and those are all awesome things. They're good things. They're also descriptions of his reality, that he sent his son Jesus, right? Like, 
those are descriptions of reality as well. And if you're not a Christian, and thank you for being here, if you're not, anyone's welcome, um, you may think, okay, this is insane. Like, you're basing all this stuff off of a, a book, and you're a crazy person, and I don't know how anyone could believe that, but I just want, I just want to say this, if you disagree with that, that's fine, um, but we all have mental maps of reality. All of us have a map of sorts that guides us through life, that, that shows us how, we're, like, how to live the best life, how to have joy, how to have happiness, how to succeed, what a good life is like. Like We have maps that sort of map that out for us based on something, either culture or uh, friends or parents or this school or whatever it is. Like We have mental maps of reality that we're navigating through life based on that, that form that foundation. We all have them. I'm just saying that for a Christian, that should be, that mental map should be shaped by the Bible more than anything. The Word of God, God's laws. And so I, I challenge you to think, you know, even if you're not a Christian, consider where am I getting my mental map of reality? Examine that. Examine that. God's laws are descriptions of reality. Um, now, that doesn't really help us if that's where we stay. Like, it's one thing to know those things, know God's law. It's a whole other thing to actually know God himself. From the beginning of Scripture till the end, literally, in Genesis chapter 1, um, 1 through 3, we see that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. In Revelation 21, we see that God is going to, Jesus is going to sit on a throne, and he's going to bring a people to himself, and he says, I'm going to be among my people. In Exodus, we see that God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt in order to be among them. God's heart for us always, from the beginning to the end, is to be in relationship with us. So there's this reality that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. If we just follow the laws, that's not enough. God wants to be in relationship with us. That is his heart, and it always has been. And so we have to understand that, that when we think through that, we, we have to understand that Jesus is trustworthy. The enemy will come just like he did to Adam and Eve and say, God is trying to keep something from you. And that is true. He's trying to keep from you that self-inflicted brokenness, right? That's what he's trying to keep from you. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, can we trust that, that Jesus is not withholding something good from us, but he actually wants something good for us. God doesn't just leave us with the law. He actually sent his son Jesus to reveal himself to us, to reveal the fullness and the trustworthiness and the goodness of God the Father to us. Jesus reveals the goodness of the Father and the joy of obedience in his presence. So Jesus actually came to fulfill the law and accomplish its purpose according to Matthew chapter 5. But then as we look through the rest of the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the Father was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. That's in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus even says, I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father tells me to say. He says, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God revealed to us. God as an example to us of who God always wanted us to be. Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, living in such a way that God always intended for us to live to accomplish the law. 
I love what Psalm 45 in Hebrew, Hebrews 1, this, this psalm that's considered a messianic psalm, it says he's anointed with the oil of gladness more than his companions. Jesus had fun. And Alicia's going to talk about what it looks like to have fun. Can a Christian even have fun? Like, yeah, we should have more fun on accident than anyone else does on purpose, right? Because we're free from sin. We're in this world that he handed to us to steward. Yeah, heck yeah, we should have fun, right? Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus modeled what it was looked like to, to walk with the Father, to experience joy even in the midst of suffering. And that's what God wants for us. We should fight to get to know Jesus and find him trustworthy. I'm so grateful for God's word. So there's this guy. He's a super cool guy. His name is Vittorio. I hope you get a chance to meet him. Some of you guys know Vittorio. He's a killer guitar player, by the way. He, get, he downplays it, but he's amazing. Okay, so Vittorio, last year, he, uh, somebody shared his number with me and said, hey, you need to meet up with Vittorio. So I'm like, okay, cool, I'll meet up with him. So we got together, we, we were hanging out, and he's like, uh, I used to not be a Christian. I was like agnostic, atheist, something like that. And he goes, um, but I'm a Christian now. I was like, cool, uh, tell me about that. Well, I'm just, I decided to be a Christian. I'm like, awesome. You know, my background is like, did you cry? Did you like pray a prayer? Did you like raise your hand at a service or something? You know, like all the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. But he's like, yeah, I just I decided to be a Christian. Okay, cool. So I was like, so tell me about that. And he's like, well, I started reading the Bible. And uh, over the last two weeks, I've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I'm like, dang, son. Um, <laughs> I'm like, so tell me about why you're reading through the Bible like that. And he was like, well, I decided to be a Christian, so I figured I might as well read the book that it's based on, right? <laughs> yeah. We probably should, right? If we're staking our whole eternity on the, what's written in a book, we should probably know what it says from the beginning to the end. That, that would be important. And I'm like, yeah, that's a logical step for someone who decided to be a Christian. And I said, okay, man, we'll pause right there. I think it's great that you're reading through the Bible. I want you to pause right there, and I want you to go read one of the Gospels over Thanksgiving break. Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the lens through which we read the rest of Scripture. He is the visible image of the invisible God. I want you to get to know this Jesus that you say you're following. I want you to know who he is. And he's like, okay. So he goes over Thanksgiving break, and... Uh, we don't really talk over Thanksgiving break, but I text him on the, when he's on the way back. And I'm like, hey, dude, did you read the whole New Testament while you were on Thanksgiving? And he's like, well, I read, okay, I read two of the Gospels, Acts, First and Second Corinthians, and I'm like halfway through Romans. I'm like, this guy. And I, I, I was challenged by, well, first of all, I was just challenged by him reading the Bible, but I was also challenged. I remember thinking when we, when we met after that, uh, after Thanksgiving, like, do you know that like just reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian? You know, like I, but the Lord just slapped me upside the head because as we were having a conversation about what he was reading and that kind of thing, he said, so I was reading in John and I was reading about God's forgiveness. And I realized there's some people in my life that I need to forgive. There's someone in my life that I need to forgive. So I just spent a few days just working through that with Jesus. And I was like, dang, okay. And then he said, and I was reading about just like the way Jesus loves people with like no strings attached. And I realized that like that's not the kind of person that I am. I want to be more like Jesus where I like love people not expecting something in return, but, but actually like just selflessly giving of myself. 
And I'm like, you really are a Christian, bro. Like, you got it. But he's encountering Jesus, finding him trustworthy in Scripture as he learns more about him. There's an old hymn that says, Jesus, Jesus, precious, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. As Christians, that should be a prayer of ours, that we would learn about and live into the trustworthiness of Jesus. That God's laws are descriptions of reality, but they're rooted in who Jesus is and his beauty and his wonder and what he has for us. Law number one that I wanted to unpack was that. Law number two that I want to unpack is no one was meant to live life alone. You've seen the signs. You've heard us say it a million times. But in that same passage um, that I read earlier, one, one verse that I didn't read, Genesis 2.18 says, uh, it is not good for man to be alone. God's there. He makes everything. And Adam and God are in relationship. They're hanging out. And, it, and God has said over and over, all throughout creation, this is good, this is good, this is good. And the one thing he says is not good is it is not good for the man to be alone. I mean, I would think that if we're just hanging out, me and God, that I'm, I'm good. But God actually within himself and the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experiences this selfless relationship within himself. And us made in his image, he wants us to experience that same kind of fellowship with people like us, like him and like us. And so he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates a suitable helper for him. And that word, that helper word, that like idea, a lot of times it's just used in, uh, in like wedding ceremonies, right? Or when you're talking about marriage, like here's a dude and he was incomplete. And now here's this woman and it's awesome, right? But the reality is it's, it's actually someone like him, another like him. It's not just the spouse, right? That like I'm alone until I get a spouse. It's actually talking about just one of his kind. And so that's what it means whenever he says it's not good for me, uh, for man to be alone. What God's law speaks to is that we should be living in community. And that's why we do life groups. That's why we do this. I love this in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. This is after Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has come and the church is being built. It says this, the believers formed a community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped God together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That is a vision for community that God has laid out for us, his church. That is what we're attempting to have happen in Chi Alpha. Like this kind of community where people spend time together, share with one another, are devoted to the things of God together. Praise God together. Those kind of things. Every year without fail, I have a conversation with a Christian who's feeling super lonely and isolated because they surrounded themselves almost entirely with people that don't care about Jesus at all. And they're in, they might even be in a life group in Chi Alpha or in a life group or a community group at a church, but they, they still feel alone. They still feel isolated. 
I want you guys to kind of look around this room, right? Like look around this room. These are the people, I don't know, they may not dress like you, they may not be in the same major, they may not like the same things you like, but you know what the unifying factor is? You're here tonight. Many of you love the Lord, you care about Jesus. Like, man, you chose to be in the presence of God tonight where you could have been anywhere else. And so the question is, like, do we want, do we want to tie the better part of our lives in this season to people that, like, don't, like, love and serve Jesus? Man, like, in Kaiapha, we don't believe in holy huddles. We don't believe that you can only hang out with Christians. That's stupid. Like, Jesus died for all of us. People are allowed to belong to this community before they believe in Jesus. We should not treat anyone any differently based on what they do or don't believe because Jesus didn't. The people that he condemned and the people that he talked to uh, most firmly were the self-righteous people, the ones that pretended to be holy. But who are we tying our lives to? Who are we, who are we walking with? Proverbs says this. There's a proverb that says this. I have it, I think. Yeah. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will become a fool. No, that's not what it says. The companion of fools will suffer harm. No one was meant to live life alone. And we just highly encourage you to get involved in a life group, come to our retreat, those kind of things. But honestly, this isn't commercial for Chi Alpha. Get plugged in somewhere, a spiritual community somewhere. There are some killer local churches around here. There are great campus ministries on this campus. Find a group of believers that you can plug in with, that you can share life with. You don't want to be alone. So, last thing. Is God trustworthy? Is Jesus trustworthy? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? I asked a buddy of mine uh, over the summer who'd been in campus ministry at a campus much like this uh, for 20 years. And I'm 10 years in now. So I'm like, hey, dude, share, share some wisdom. I was like, what's God done in your heart? What have you learned over the last 20 years that, you, that has transformed your life? And he was like, for the first 10 years, I followed God, I obeyed God, I served God, but I didn't trust Him. I didn't trust Him. I did all the rules, I followed all the rules, but I just didn't, I didn't trust in who He was. And there's a difference between doing it because He said so and doing it because of who He is. Because I said so takes on a whole new meaning when I is a perfect Heavenly Father. <laughs> when I is Jesus, your Savior, right? When I is the Holy Spirit who's in you, leading you and guiding you. We don't have to leave this room tonight not trusting Jesus or not convicting, convicted in our heart to trust Him with our lives, with everything. Because He's trustworthy and He wants good things for us. Thank you for listening today. We'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast. If you want more information about TCU Chi Alpha, visit tcuxa.com. God bless and go Frogs.